online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, Domaine Bousquet, started by a Frenchman. It's one of Argentina's fastest growing wineries, a pioneer of organic viticulture. We'll hear from its owners, Anne Bousquet and Labide Ameri, to find out why such methods are so important how they put their winery on the map and what might be next. In 1990, Jean Bousquet, a third-generation winemaker from Carcassonne in the south of France, took a holiday to Argentina. He found himself in Qualtallery, high in the Tupungatu district of Mendoza's Uco Valley. And the rest, as they say, is history. Upping sticks a few years later in 1997 to set up one of the first wineries in this very special spot in the foothills of the Andes. He effectively started from scratch. There was nothing there at the time. Uh, he was told he was crazy. A quarter of a century later, Domaine Bousquet is owned by his daughter Anne and her husband Labide Ameri. And it's now one of Argentina's top 10 wineries, one of the biggest exporters to America a growing presence in the UK and a pioneer of organic wine in Argentina. It's also multi-award winning, scooping more gold medals than any other single producer at the IWSC this year. No mean feat in one of the world's toughest competitions. More of that later. But first of all, how did they do it? Well, I caught up with Anne and Labide in their winery, which also has a luxurious lodge and successful restaurant attached. And we started off with a bit of history. So we started exactly 25 years ago, 97, 1997, when my father comes, our father comes to um, to Argentina to settle that year, year uh, having bought a, a virgin land that, was, that had not been cultivated. How did he come to that decision? He had traveled throughout the 90s, several times to Argentina, explored visited a lot of vineyards, a lot of wineries. And uh, at the time, in the 90s, uh, Mendoza was the, the, the main uh, region for wine, like it is now. But most of the of the wineries were located a half hour uh, away driving from Mendoza. Here we are about an hour and a half away. So they were much closer to Mendoza City, which is the capital of Mendoza province. And so one day just got in the 90s when he was visiting, got lost, took a car, got lost and went beyond that half hour where all the wineries were concentrated and took that road and ended up here. Here we had 4,000 feet altitude, 1,200 meters, uh, while the wineries that were in Mendoza were half that, that altitude. And when he saw that, that, uh, that place, uh, and it, like I said, there was nothing. It's difficult now to imagine, mm -hmm. but, um, he said, this is it. He had the like, the ha ha moment. So this is the place who went back to France, organized to sell the vineyard and, uh, winery he had built over the 
past 30 years because he started when he was 18, 20 years old. And when he made that decision in 97 to come, he was 50 years old. So decided to sell all this to buy with, with that money to buy that 400 hectares uncultivated land in the middle of nowhere. So much that he always told us that the 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 notary that was arranging the papers for the for the purchase of the land told him you are you're a French person you have no idea what you're doing you're crazy no one has never planted vines because my dad was explaining to the notary he was going to plant vines there say you're crazy to do what you're doing you're going to regret this well we all thought he was crazy uh, but now seeing where it is I I always say my dad got upgraded from crazy to visionary yeah 25 yeah years later but it's no exaggeration to say that uh, in 1997 there was really nothing here was but there nothing it's not an exaggeration there was so much nothing that <laughs> that I mean first he had to Obviously, when he saw the land, when he visited the land, he had to make sure with a professional company that there was uh, water underground to be able to dig a well. So the first thing he had to do was, on top of cleaning up the, 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 the land, was to set up electricity, have electricity being set up so he could dig a well and then plant it. And water rights are a big, decisive factor here, aren't they? They have become a big decisive factor. Uh, back then, it was pretty easy. If there was water, uh, you just need to make sure there was water underground and you would ask authorization to get a well because, you know, presenting all the projects of the plantation you wanted to do and they will give you that, that well. That was, I tell you, 97, so you had no problem. You obtained two wells. And uh, that has become a problem over the years because of a changing a changing in the, cli- the climate changing becoming warmer you have less snow during the winter i mean i have uh, paper pictures of my dad when he was living here in the late 90s early 2000 and you have pictures of of having a meter of snow mm. at his at his house where we have a restaurant where you ate today at the what used to be his house the restaurant and we have paper pictures of a meter of snow and stalactite uh, coming down from the in the early 2000 from the from the the roof of a house mm. and um, I tell you we have we moved my husband and I and our daughter we moved to Tupungato in 2009 we never saw this mm-hmm. never saw so much uh, so much uh, uh, snow you can get to see snow now in the winters but it will be one day it will bring a few centimeters on the ground and that's it I mean we here in the winter we have the 1st of July today on the 2nd of July today we in the winter here. You see how it is. Yeah. You're in t-shirt. Yeah. No, it's been, it's cold it's, at night, but it's um, it's beautiful and sunny during the day and really lovely and fresh. So, yeah, you're, but, you're right. But, but it's warmer, like mm-hmm. in a lot of other regions of the world, it's much warmer than what it should be, mm-hmm. than normal. And when it, it at, we are 1,200 meters altitude, when you have less snow here, you also have less snow at the top of the mountains. And that snow for us is what for the province of Mendoza brings us the water into the wells because all this snow becomes water that goes underground and gives mm-hmm. us the wells. So as I said, during the, the 2000s, they, they're, the winters became warmer and warmer to the point that 10 to 12 years ago, I think maybe it was in 2011, the province of Mendoza, the government of Mendoza, the province of Mendoza decided to put a full stop on authorization of wells, new yeah. wells, which was 
in a way, a good thing because to protect the ones who already have wells. Otherwise, it just keeps going. You know, we wouldn't have enough water. So now that's why you you see that's a very critical problem here because you still have a lot of potential to plant land. I mean, you saw on, mm-hmm. the, on the side, our neighbor, it's it's a land that's not cultivated, the same land, you know, that my dad, same type of land that my dad bought in 97 that has never been cultivated, but he doesn't have authorization, that neighbor, to have a well. Yeah. And so he can't cultivate it. Yeah, so your so, your father showed you know a, a, an amazing degree of foresight, and mm-hmm. I took a huge amount of risk um, totally. in doing uh, what he did. Um, just explain before we talk about how you and your brother um, got involved. Just talk about how you got involved with and how you met uh, Levid, your now husband, because that in itself is quite an interesting story. Yeah, well, of course, you know, growing up at um, in Languedoc and Carcassonne at the winery of uh, family winery in the vineyard, of course, I say I will never, never be involved in the wine industry. Right. I'll never have a winery. But this is this whole thing is completely crazy. I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, in, in in Languedoc, like in most of a region in, in Europe, wine region, you have rain and when you have rain in the harvest you know to go fast 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 otherwise you know you, it's a big risk to the, to grapes and i've seen uh, always my dad and my my grandfather obsessed with the weather mm-hmm. and sometimes you had to do the harvest in three weeks one month which is by the way not the case here at all mm-hmm. here the harvest lasts three months because you we are here in the driest wine region in the world we have very little rain you can feel it's dry. So anyway, so, but growing up there, I said, I will never do this. This is just crazy. And my, uh, my dad used to put me in the vines to do the pruning. It's just cold. And, my, and they were always stressed. And, and, and he was uh, leaving always to go and sell the wines. And so I um, did my university. I did uh, study economics in, in the University of Toulouse. Did my four years. And went to Minnesota as an exchange student to um, be to, to better my English. And I was supposed to stay there nine months, but they offered me a master's degree to, do, to enroll in a master's degree program for applied economics. And that will help me with in-state tuition and a job as, a, uh, as, a, as an assistant, professor assistant. And so I said yes and stayed there as far as possible of, you know, a place where you can do, grow vines, you know, Minnesota. And this is where I met Labid, who was... He grew up in Spain and uh, he was uh, studying there, not as an exchange student, he was doing actually his uh, degree there. And we met there as two Europeans in Minnesota. And for me, it was, you know, I, I wanted to become an economist, not at all work in wine. Yeah, and it's interesting because Labid, let's bring you in. Um, you also, uh, I think at that stage, did not intend to be running a winery. Uh, I, 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 uh, you, you had very much your eye on um, sort of financial trading. But uh, just give us a little bit about um, your kind of backstory, how you ended up in, in Minnesota. Well, you know, I I was uh, in Spain, and um, the story is a funny story. I was 15 years old, and I watched a movie, Wall Street, Michael Douglas, and when he was talking about, you know, greed is good, and the best corporation in the world is the United States of America, and uh, that really um, kind of like 
hit me and I really said I want to work in, in Wall Street I want to w- move to the US I want to get US education and and that's that's uh, the rest is history so we came I uh, found a professor of University of Minnesota in Madrid I met him uh, he was a friend of my dad and and uh, you know I kind of convinced my dad to to um, go there uh, with the help of the professor and I ended up there yeah, so just tell us then how that, uh, with you pursuing a financial career and pursuing a career as an economist, um, how did all of that change then? How did you end up uh, living in, in Tupangasu? Well, you know, uh, we were, you know, in our 20s, we were, uh, you know, happy in, in Boston and uh, we, I was working for the capital markets and was economist. One day Anne told me, in 2001 December uh, let's go and see my dad because he moved from France to Argentina at that time in 97 when he moved uh, we were very surprised because France was uh, you know the center of the wine business uh, probably the biggest market share in the world and Argentina was unknown in wine so we, we it was intrigued for us uh, to see what's going on in Argentina we arrived here and we saw impressive uh, Guateri area, Tupungato, Mendoza area. We were we were amazed with the mountains and and so you know Argentina is like such a immense country. It's like so natural, you know, air is so fresh. So my father-in-law really was make you know growing grapes uh, Malbec and we start tasting Malbecs and you know and we fell in love with the country and uh, not necessarily the industry but we we really loved it and uh, we saw Argentina had a lot of crisis at that time December 2001 had five presidents that month even though it was challenging as a country but we really thought Argentina Tina had uh, it could be a great opportunity for business so we came back to Boston but we connected very well with my father-in-law and uh, one day we in 2004 we asked uh, my father-in-law asked me to help to find an employer in the US we went to a wine fair in Miami and uh, there was a lot of wineries from all over the world we presented our wine that was uh, my father-in-law wine was the first harvest and we there was a competition and the wine was um, uh, uh, my father-in-law wine was number five in the wine, uh, whole wine uh, fair and we were so surprised and that was probably one of the cheapest wine in those top five so when we saw that we thought this is an amazing opportunity an organic wine from Argentina and the, at that time and and still price quality ratio is amazing in Argentina so we my father my bro- wife and I decided that maybe uh, it would be a good opportunity to help my father-in-law and and in 2005 I started in the business with my father-in-law wow okay and so and your your um the, the story to pick up the story at that point your father had almost been a bit too successful for his sort of comfort level I, I guess you know the, the, the business had taken off but you then uh, with your brother uh, with Labid you then sort of decided with your father to take a, a far 
bigger role to effectively to, to take over this part of the business. That's right, isn't it? Right. Yeah. In 2005, uh, what happened is that we moved to from we were living in Boston and we moved from Boston to Brussels. So Lebi, like you say, resigned from his uh, uh, trader position at Fidelity Investment. We moved. I keep my job. I was an economist for a Boston uh, company. Uh, we had an office in Brussels, so I keep my job because we. My my father was asking us help to sell that first vintage he had. And by the way, we were already that first vintage we started to sell at the Provine March two thousand and five was already certified organic because mm-hmm. what Labid didn't mention well is that. But when we came in 2001, as a family, when we understood the climate, we fell in love, Labid and I, with Argentina. And we understood the climate, that very dry climate. Like I said, this is the driest wine region in the world. We understood there in in one that we could do organic here. Mm-hmm. So we immediately, as we were planting the vines, we immediately asked for this to be certified, which still lasted three years. So by 2005, we had the wine, the first wine to sell certified organic. So we go to Provine. I, I kept my job then because my dad could not pay the bid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he had put all the money here. We actually started to become a part of my dad because what we did is uh, with our savings, we uh, from the sale of the apartment in Boston we had, we started to buy uh, a container of wine from my dad, put it in a in a, in a warehouse in Belgium. And so we could offer a logistic solution at Provine for people who obviously didn't know our wine <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because we were brand new. And so like this, uh, we were able to get our first clients from the Provine 2005. Uh, and then our big, uh, big push was in 2006 when uh, we won a tender in Sweden for organic Malbec from Mendoza. Mm. And that really accelerated the sales. Uh, that was our first big sales. And um, my dad at the time was just, with the money coming from the sales, was building the cellar. And it was, the production was, uh, need, to, need to accelerate because Lebit was doing a very good job with the sales. And he started to ask us to help him also with the production. And this is where in 2008, the year my daughter, our daughter was born, uh, I resigned mid-year from my position after 10 years. And we moved to, to Pungato in early 2009. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that Tupugatu is quite a small place, isn't it? And it was even smaller <laughs> back then. I mean, you see it now, it was even smaller. It was definitely a shock, at least to my system, because mm-hmm. I didn't even speak Spanish at the time. I mm-hmm. had learned English and German in school in France. So my, my Spanish was very, very uh, basic. And uh, Lebid it was not a problem for him. He was fluent in Spanish since he had grown uh, grown up in, uh, in Madrid. But for me... It was mm-hmm. the culture, it was the, the, the language. I had my dad here, but it was, and, and, and doing to do your own business also, or participating not to, to your family business was another cultural shock. So it, it was, it was difficult. It was, uh, it was difficult. And this is where I started to, to take uh, charge of the finance uh, with my father while Labid was continuing to manage all the sales. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, the business, um, has, grown really very rapidly since. Being organic is a key part of that. Um, You're ahead of the curve um, on organic. Why do you think um, organic wines are so important? Well, for, for us, it was kind of a no-brainer when, again, when in 2001 we, we, we understood as a family uh, the potential of doing organic here. I mean, and having had a vineyard before, 
and uh, my dad had to spray like most of the vineyards in Europe, you know. And when we realized here we didn't have to spray, we could actually do uh, 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 agriculture and vitamin culture with no pesticide, no spraying. Uh, for us, we said, let's do it. I mean, it's it's a no brainer. It's 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 much much easier here. So if we don't do it here, we won't do it anywhere. You know, and that was for us a, a very, very important moment where we did the click. And and then we knew, I mean, Lebid was seeing that in the market. They were not ready, ex- except in the Nordics, where they were putting actually tenders to, to get organic wine. But the rest of the world was was not ready to put to pay a premium for for organic wines. But for us, it it was what we believed in. And, and you know, we were just going to do it. It was not because it, it, it never... It didn't start from from a sales with a sales objective in mind because when we decided we didn't even mm-hmm. have vines yet, mm-hmm. so it really started from understanding the the, the the terroir, the climate, and the potential of doing organic and you know adding our grain of salt, sand or salt, you know, in, to mm-hmm. to make this world better. And Labid, um, organic now is fundamental to the proposition for the various wine labels that fall within Domaine Busquet. It's has the market in the time that you've been working in wine, has the sort of understanding, the demand for organic really changed? Yeah, absolutely. Like Anne said at the beginning when we first started and when you mentioned we were ahead of the curve, a lot of people were not prepared to have organic wines. At that time, 2005, there was a lot of mom and pop wineries that make an organic wines but the wine um, the wine quality was not very good at that time and uh, when we went to Sweden um, I spoke to the buyer uh, of Sweden uh, Monopoly and um, they buy for the whole country and they said they had the same problem they always buy organic wine and they don't sell so that was our only opportunity to, uh, because we were getting so many rejections around the world, um, especially, you know, in, in Europe uh, and, and um, you know, Sweden was, I went to the supermarket and I saw maybe 25% of all the produce were organic. And I said to the buyer, how come you don't have more organic wines? And, and she said the same thing, you know, doesn't sell. So I said, try our wine and and they try the wine and all of a sudden they did a tender for like 250,000 bottles at that time we were maybe producing less than 50,000 bottles and all of a sudden we grew so much in that first tender so after they were so happy even this uh, the, the the monopoly after that they did the extension of uh, first was Malbec after that we did the Cab and the Chardonnay and at one point in 2000 2007, we were 85% of all the organic wine sales in, in the country of Sweden. And and uh, once they saw that, that organic could work, they uh, created a goal of becoming, having 20% of their wines being organic by 2020. And in fact, they made it and now they have over 25% of their wines being organic that helped us to extend the organic you know uh, revolution from sweden going to finland going to norway going to canada so we were pushing that and we were successful after that we came back to continental europe and there were more 
welcoming to organic. But now uh, we're talking moving f fast forward and after COVID, um, a lot of people, really a lot of consumers care about their health. They, uh, they, they, there's a trend about, you know, good for you, healthy products. And um, definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's a different situation now. And I'm glad I see a lot of organic wineries popping up, uh, creating uh, better products. And our mission, Anne and I and, um, and Guillaume, uh, our company, Domaine Bousquet, mission is really to promote the benefits of organic products the, and, and, and show the consumers that uh, organic could be beneficial for the, the consumers plus the environment. The more we can spread that word, the better it is for everybody. Mm. And uh, Anne, you've taken it to um, arguably a, another level now by getting biodynamic certification from Demeter, which is expensive and involves a, a huge amount of thorough paperwork and everything else because you have to prove to Demeter that you are biodynamic. Why have you um, have decided to uh, to do that? Why have you pursued biodynamic? No, for us, it was, it was a logical continuation of what we've done with the organic. So we came to a point that, okay, we, we wanted to push it even further with biodynamic. And, and for us, actually, you say, yes, it's a lot of paperwork. Okay. Every certification is, is very arduous. There's a lot of paperwork. But for us, it's extremely important. And you, we have a lot of certification and uh, we certify because now, you have a lot of wineries all over the world that say we farm sustain sustainable or we farm organic, but there is no certification. There is not the logo of a certifier in the back label. Therefore, the consumer, okay, has to take the word mm -hmm. of what they say. There is nothing because the people who don't certify don't get the audits every year like we do from the certifier. If one day it, it rains too much, they can go ahead and spray because they're not um, with a certification and they're not running then therefore the, the, the risk of losing it. So they can just do whatever they want and, and the consumer never knows. While with a certification, we are audited every year, sometimes several times a year, and that is a guarantee for the consumer. So we love to certify. It's also very good for us as a company uh, because it, 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 it forces the discipline of our teams uh, because these certifiers, they come and they, like you said, it's a lot of paperwork and they want everything to be to be mm. done well. So um, And they can turn up unannounced, can't they, as completely. well? Completely. Completely. They can turn up unannounced. Actually, the uh, BRC, uh, BRC uh, audit also, uh, which uh, certification, which is for supermarket and all this, it's an international level. Uh, the first two years, they announce it. And the third year, which was this year, they come unannounced. Right. And uh, and that's very good discipline for our people, for our teams, uh, and good discipline for our company. So, yeah, so organic, we had it since, uh, since 2005. And then at one point, the logical evolution was uh, biodynamic, which we started two, three years ago. Um, and then another logical evolution, and the latest one, was the ROC, the regenerative 
agriculture certification. Uh, for us, it's very important because then again, this is going a step even further. It's it's really caring about regeneration of the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, we, we put a lot of importance in in that because when, when you look at the soil, the soil can also uh, grasp and, 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 and take into, uh, into the soil all the carbon dioxide, that big thing, that mm-hmm. CO2, that is the big problem now, you know, the, the, the change of the climate and all that, because we've, with all the industries in the past 50 years, we have emitted so, so much CO2. Well, there is an, an, an amazing uh, documentary that I love to see, which is called Kiss the Ground. And that shows you how if you have a very healthy soil, one of the one of the solution to the mess we've created is is to to have soils with plants with trees with healthy plants with plants that are very very uh, uh, with a lot of energy very very live lively and they will absorb the carbon dioxide and they will put it in the ground which actually the ground needs it mm-hmm. not the sky where we are and 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 that is a very important uh, for the future of the agriculture and this is about using techniques on the soil that don't plough it up so much so they don't release exactly. carbon dioxide yeah. and then improving the soil quality so that the plants through photosynthesis absorb, absorb. more and, and, and carbon store dioxide. And store it in the, in the ground. Yeah. But if you have dead grounds, dead soil, uh, because of spraying uh, chemicals, these soils are dead mm. and they won't absorb anything. And, and it's, then it's a vicious cycle because the plant doesn't get what it needs the, from the soil. So you need to put more fertilizer, more chemical and more so that the plant can give you something, some type of yield. But you keep destroying the soil and the plant. While the, the regenerative uh, vision of things is that it has to regenerate by itself by just topping all these chemicals and let it free. Mm. And, we, and and no tilling. So we it's been a year, at least and a half, not two years. We have not done any tilling in our in our soil. Yeah, it's incredible. And something else that you've also gone for, uh, which is kind of linked, kind of different, is B Corporation uh, status, a Benefit Corporation, I think. Benefit, yeah. yeah. Um, tell us about that, Levid. Yeah. So Benefit Corporation, basically, it's. Uh, you know, companies have to be, um, you know, have to meet standards, uh, social standards and environmental standards. It's not about just making profit uh, for the shareholders. It's making uh, basically meet the stakeholders and stakeholders benefit is shareholders, of course, is important and, and profit, but also to make sure that we respect the environment and we respect the social social welfare of our employees and being transparent and and meeting the standards every year and making sure every year we improve to have these three pillars um, you know and have them you know have met those and then not just following only 100% profit and it's very similar to ROC and ROC also has three pillars and the three pillars are like Anne mentioned is the health of the soil and the welfare of animal welfare and social justice in our employees we are certified uh, fair trade so part of our uh, profits go to our employees 
so that uh, you know is one important pillar and and like Anne mentioned about uh, improving the health of the soil and also the, the animals and animals is super important and that's also part of biodynamic certification the animals have to be part of, of, of our land and we have to treat them very well and if we treat them very well and we put them part of our you know agriculture they gonna give us a lot of benefit to, to, to the land and that's and that's why it's all complementary and uh, biodynamic, biodynamic and rock uh, rock um, so uh, this is we are the fourth winery in the world to be certified uh, rock certification regenerative or uh, organic certification and um, people might wonder what animals are doing in a vineyard because you're growing grapes and making wine so where and do the uh, animals come in no, the sheeps. So we have sheeps. Um, I don't know if you saw them when you were walking. No, you need to see them. Uh, and uh, we use them to, to go and, uh, and eat the grass mm-hmm. that we have in the vineyard, you know. And, uh, the, the weed. The weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay, so they, they, they're they effectively helping to maintain. Oh, yeah, they participate. Their, uh, yeah. And presumably um, they are also fertilizing as well. Exactly. I mean, as they go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we do, uh, we do, yeah, the fertilizing, exactly. And we also, talking about fertilizing, we are really working very hard in composting. The, at, at the end of the, of, of the vines, there is this big pile of compost. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are now working with, uh, with a consultant specialized in composting from Brazil who is helping us uh, because it's not easy, the composting. I mean, if you want to do it really well, and uh, rightly so for, for regenerative uh, agriculture, you need to have a very good compost. So it's a whole science. I mean, we have a lady here, Irma, who is dedicated uh, to that. She has a whole position with the composting. She loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, when she started to talk about it, it it's... <laughs> It's quite, quite, uh, quite amazing how, how complicated it is. Yeah, well, it, it's as a gardener, it's it's hard enough to make good compost at home in a tiny compost heap. So I can imagine uh, across a vineyard, it's uh, it's a big thing to do. So you've brought together all of these different uh, certifications and production kind of methods together. Let's talk about the the, the juice. Let's talk about the the grapes and uh, the wine, Malbec unsurprisingly given where you are is your star grape in terms of its importance in the portfolio isn't it oh definitely um Mal- malbec was uh, made for argentina or argentina was made for malbec i don't know which one but they really they, it, malbec is great here malbec likes the argentinian terroir uh, and especially here here we are altitude wines so you you get a natural acidity in the wines uh, that makes them uh, you know lighter and less heavy and, and more balanced then uh, of course it's it's a winemaker to see the use of, of oak uh, but already I mean like my father always told me um, 80% of the wine is made in the vineyard and here the the, the history has proved that uh, we can get very high quality vines and uh, again, thanks to the to the terroir. So yeah, Malbec is uh, is uh, the big grape we produce and and the wine we sell, and um, and we have other variety because, for example, Cabernet Sauvignon also are doing very well here. Uh, Chardonnays, Pinot Noirs. We have a very a very cold nights because of the altitude, so the altitude wines, and um, 
because of that you get a very drop even in the winter you see it in the summer also we can get in well in the 30s during the day but we will go back to 15 at night and that is very good for uh a chardonnay or, or burgundy you know or pinot noir the burgundy grapes but i like the cool nights yeah and it's mm-hmm. um really made a difference uh to, to malbec i think uh versus some of the malbec that's grown a little bit lower down mm-hmm. uh in mendoza closer to the uh the city yeah. um uh, that that style of, of malbec it really has evolved um in the last five ten years hasn't it Oh, yeah, definitely. I think Argentina in general is evolving with its Malbec and particularly where we are here, Yucca Valley and Gualtayari. And it's, uh, I think we all, because now we, we, we were one of the first ones to be here, but now, as you can see, it got busier. Uh, and uh, a lot of wineries now have, have come to, to Yucca Valley and, and Gualtayari. And uh, I think we, we what we're seeing is that the the... the the Malbec of grapes is, is so beautiful that there's been more an evolution toward, towards letting the terroir express itself in the, in the vines and put less makeup into it. So I think this is the trend and the tendency. And in our case, uh, when you have organic, the, 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 the pure purity of the grapes really also helps, uh, there to have, to have balanced wine and, fruity wines uh, i mean we see it in the even in, in, in all our lines but also in our line uh, we have a line called virgin that not only is, is made is made with organic certified organic grapes but also also um with um no sulfite added mm-hmm. and uh we did the first uh wine in 2018 a red blend and we it was really an adventure for us because we 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 didn't know what to expect when you, once you don't put any sulfite which is what preserves the wine you you don't know how it's going to get to the market you don't know how it's going to evolve so we kept uh, bottles and every year with Rodrigo our winemaker we taste a bottle of 2018 and it, it's very good very good so even though we had no sulfite it, it, it the wine can last five years later it's still good and that we think is thanks to the purity of the wine of being organic grapes. Yeah, that's very interesting because um, uh, sulfur is obviously used to uh, stabilise a wine, to keep it um, stable, to keep it fresh. Why was it important to you to make a range of wines that uh, had no added sulfur? We wanted to try, again, the logic evolution. We started with organic wines and we wanted to see if we can push it also to non-sulfite added. And as I said, the logical evolution of, of trying and, uh, it has been a success. And now we also just launched in the past year or year and a half a kosher wine also non-sulfite added to the markets, a Mal- uh, Malbec, and mm-hmm. organic, of course, organic mm-hmm. and non-sulfite added. And uh, we're just launching now also a low-alcohol uh, low wine, also non-sulfite added. Right. You're, you're kind of um, restless innovators, <laughs> aren't you? This, is, this uh, is fundamental to the business, is it? Always pushing at the boundaries, always trying to, to uh, develop the, the next thing. Exactly, and and you know also we need we see a gap and a need in the market, like the low sulfite added. There is a lot of consumers that are sensitive to sulfite, and it's not easy to find to make sulf- non-sulfite wine. But we see in the tastings, we see a lot of 
female consumers, they say, you know, I have a lot of sensitivity to sulfide. I have headaches the next day. So we try to innovate and meet the, the quality standards and, and what people need in the market as well. And, and we uh, using, of course, always the organic way. And your export business is very successful. Um, you have given that this is a not by any measure um, an old business. Um, you're now, I think, in the top 10 exporters from Argentina. I think you're the third uh, biggest in the United States now, and certainly in the top 15 in the United Kingdom as well. How have you built that business so fast? Well, you know, I think um, uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, it's very important, the quality. For us, quality is super important, and what consumers care about is quality. And it's uh, very hard to sell the first bottle but it's harder to sell the second bottle. And uh, we want to try to make sure that any um, consumer, when they buy our wine, of course, you know, there's a benefit of organic and that's important, but the consumer cares about quality. And uh, we try to, to uh, our position here in Gualtieri and everything we do in our company is focused on making sure the best quality that we can deliver to the consumer and and in our opinion we have a very loyal uh, consumer base that come back again to to buy our wine and and they are discovering you know our uh, style of wine and also the also the, the the fact that it's healthy and is organic and Anne um, your father and then you and your uh, family have shown um, great foresight in terms of where mm -hmm. uh, Argentina can go. Um, what do you think is next uh, for uh, Argentinian wine? I think the Argentinian category is ups and down with the economy and everything, but I think it's a strong category. Malbec, I think, is a, is a very good value. Uh, I think the British market, the UK market likes it a lot. It's a solid uh, uh, varietal for a good price. Uh, the, the price quality ratio you can get is, is good. The same for the US markets. These markets are, are, are good fans of, uh, of um, Argentinian wines and, and particularly Malbec. I think the future is to continue as a whole, as an industry to, uh, to uh, deliver consistent quality uh, for Argentina Malbec uh, and 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 uh, um, Malbec that adapts wines that adapt to to the new you know demands of a, of a consumer less oaky you know low alcohol all these type of things but also we I think we have uh, a good uh, a good an important role to play with Chardonnays and Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Francs and that's something um, we need to 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 continue to explore as the Argentinian category I think yeah well there. Uh, all delicious Malbec mm -hmm. tends to steal the the kind of limelight somewhat, right. but um, the the great varieties you just mentioned, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, uh, Chardonnay, mm -hmm. uh, do excel here. They are much more competitive fields for Argentina because Argentina kind of owns Malbec mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't own Cabernet Sauvignon, no. Chardonnay, or Cabernet Franc. Mm -hmm. So, um, how are they? Uh, how are you planning to kind of surmount? 
that particular challenge because it's a very very crowded marketplace globally isn't it for wine oh definitely it's a very crowded marketplace and and no we don't pretend you know to, to take over this market but just to add i mean i think the the consumption of uh, for example of uh, white wine is is growing you know again because i think people are going through for healthier healthier solution and options with a low alcohol with the with the, the white are lighter also it's getting hotter mm-hmm. everywhere so you don't feel like so much like before drinking big quantities of heavy reds mm-hmm. so you know and there is so much uh, white and uh, Chardonnay, you can plant in already the old world. So I think maybe the new world can bring some uh, some more quantities as as we see uh, demand for Chardonnay growing in the world. So this is where a country like Argentina can help. Mm. And mm. a final word for Cabernet Franc as well, because uh, as you know, I'm, I'm a big fan yeah. of Cabernet Franc in Argentina. I think it uh, has a, an amazing role to play. What do you think makes it distinctive and special here? Again, Cabernet Franc, I think, uh, likes, likes the terroir here, definitely. And there is more and more wineries doing Cabernet Franc. Uh, I think this is going to grow. We're getting very good results. We ourselves planting more Cabernet Franc now because there is a demand. Again, the Cabernet, uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's in there in the family of a Cabernet Sauvignon. And if you look at the Cabernet Sauvignon, how different it is a Cabernet Sauvignon from here and compared to Chile, for example, our neighbor. And I think um, this is going behind the Cabernet, uh, the Cabernet Franc is going behind the Cabernet Sauvignon in that, in that fruity style, red fruit, uh, black fruit style that we tend to have also for the Cabernet Sauvignon compared to the more, you know, green pepper that our neighbours in Chile have. So uh, I think it's, it's just getting along very well with the terroir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it likes it. It does. And, and we I, like it. And I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you both uh, so much for, uh, for hosting welcome, me David. and for, for chatting. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. Let's round off with a selection of medal winners from the IWSC as ever. As regular listeners will know, Argentina was judged in situ in Mendoza this year for the first time with a team of international judges flying out to join specialists from South America for two days of location judging. And I was fortunate to be among those international judges. Combined with those wines assessed in London, a total of 444 medals were awarded for wines from Argentina, with 11 golds, over 150 silvers and more than 270 bronze medals. And you can hear the first batch of those golds in episode 124, our special edition focused on Altitude Argentina. Uh, Hopefully you caught that, but if not, do have a listen. Here are some more of the top medal winners from Argentina. And let's begin close to home with Domaine Busquet, which, as I mentioned at the start, landed more prestigious golds than any other producer, a trio, in fact. And that's uh, quite an achievement because this is a notoriously exacting competition. We featured uh, one of those golds last time. So here's another 
Domaine Bousquet, Grand Bousquet, Organic Malbec 2021. I was actually on the judging panel for this one, judging blind, of course, alongside Andrea Donadio, Amanda Barnes and Aldo Graziani. And we gave it 96 points, one of the highest scores. Here's what we said. Complex and elegant, this wine has a beautifully expressive palate with wild bramble fruits, mineral layers and a delicate smoky character under floral purity. The tannins are firm but well balanced by a lively freshness and ethereal polished finish. The judging process was overseen by Dursu Viana Jr., MW, a previous guest a few times here on The Drinking Hour. Here's another gold medal winner, all of the golds ratified by Jr. One of two golds for one of the great names, Bodegas Bianchi. Uh, You can hear its celebrated winemaker, Silvio Alberto, in that episode 124. Bodegas Bianchi Gran Familia Corte 2020, another one judged by the panel I was sitting on. This is a blend this time, led by Malbec with Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and Cabernet Franc. Here's the tasting note. Appealing perfumes of cassis and ripe black fruits. Full-bodied, carrying black pepper, cloves and cigar box. Complex layers of flavours and textures. Traditional in style, offering 10 years of potential. Finish is gentle, persistent, dark fruit flavoured and ethereal. Next, another gold. This one for another famous name, Bodega Salentine. Patillo Organic Malbec 2022. 95 points for this one. The judges described it as deeply powerful and concentrated, with tremendous depth of flavour and complexity throughout. Ripe black and blue fruit flavours dance around tones of nutmeg, clove and freshly ground black pepper. Silky and voluptuous, yet remaining wonderfully vibrant and fresh. Outstanding, they said. Malbec led the medals table, unsurprisingly, as the country's adopted signature grape variety. Here's an example. Bodega Benegas, family Juan Malbec, 2022. 95 points. The judges described abundant aromatic intensity showing dark and blue fruit characteristics, mineral stony aromas, violets, black plum and oak influences on the nose and palate. Fresh palate with medium tannins, balanced and pure with lifting aromatics and salty notes on the finish. Our final gold, Bodegas Fabre Alta Yari Gran Corte 2021. Another red blend led by Cabernet Franc this time with Malbec and Cabernet Sauvignon. The judge's tasting note, sweet, ripe raspberry fruits and elegant lifted mint and herbal spice notes. Concentrated, rounded and juicy, blackberry palate, vibrant acidity and firm tannins. Elegant black pepper texture and lovely fruity character lingering on the finish. Well, there's no lingering on this finish. That's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour, the 128th episode. My thanks to Labida Mary and Anne Busquet. Congratulations again to them on their success. You can find my wine column at clubonologique.com and you can find us on Instagram and X. That's the thing we used to call Twitter. Uh, look out for Food FM Radio 2 and I am Mr Venusaurus on both of those platforms. For now, though, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits.
To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.